Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about separating an artist from their work. Controversial artist. I'm your prepared host, J.S. Garrity. And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic a half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. All right, let's get into this. All right. So this is our second attempt at, at recording this. Yes. Yeah, we had... We we had a run of, of bad luck of getting uh, episodes recorded for a while. Yeah. Computer issues on both ends and all kinds uh -huh. of other stuff. So it's been... It, the things that we do to bring this podcast to you, our <laughs> listeners. You better appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, it's been, it was an adventure last week when we tried to to record this the first time. I ended up having to um, spontaneously go out and buy a new computer, which I've never had to do that before. I always, you know, research for like months before buying expensive technology. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a, you know, I, I had finals for the MFA and and my Kickstarter up and all these things going on and I couldn't go a day without a computer. So we did that. <laughs> Thank goodness for Max. Yeah. My husband, my IT husband made that possible. He yeah. knew exactly what I needed to get. And it was really easy. We just walked into Costco and then walked out and, um, and he knew when to tell me that my old computer was beyond help anymore <laughs> yeah 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 but anyway we have part one right now and there's going to be a part two next week for part one we're going to focus on historical authors who have had you know controversial personal beliefs um but also have contributed really important things to the craft and to the industry as a whole so our focus is will be Lovecraft and John. You had mentioned last week when we first started to to try this with um, that Robert E. Howard was another good one to talk yeah. about. So um, I ended up doing some extra uh, looking into him um, for for today. So maybe it was a good thing that this got postponed. I'm a little more prepared now than I was, but. But there's no shortage of historical figures no. with with problematic. No, histories. almost every single one. Yeah, I mean, let's be and honest. Some of them were normal for the time period, and but some of them, like Lovecraft and Howard, were severe for when they lived. Um, yeah, yeah. Lovecraft. So, I mean, I think especially Lovecraft was very notably a a racist, yeah. a bigot in general for a yeah. good chunk of his life yeah he was yeah. a white supremacist so yeah. like you know nazi aryan race yeah. like 
full on and he didn't really he wasn't really shy about it either he was very outspoken about it um maybe even more so than the actual nazis uh but it, it's not just in his work um it's even more notably in his personal correspondences that he had with yeah with people yeah there's an argument to be made that his xenophobia is is the root of the way he wrote cosmic horror um mm -hmm. and his his fears of um miscegenation is that is that how it's pronounced oh i don't know <laughs> the different races mixing um yeah and which is interesting because he married a, a jewish ukrainian woman yes yeah um also not a theory i uh, subscribe to whatsoever um i just want to make that very very clear it this was a this was a Lovecraft. Well, this was not a, just a Lovecraft. There, there were people everywhere who believed this. There are still people who believe in this garbage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the idea that we're anything other than one species of human, that somehow mm -hmm. the color of our skin, uh, et cetera, can, can change things. And let's also keep in mind that there, this was a point in, uh, in history where in a lot of cases, people considered their nationality to be their race, like the English race, mm, the French mm -hmm. race, the German race, etc. Yeah, because he said some things about, um, was it? I, th I think it was Lovecraft and not not Howard. Yeah, it was Lovecraft. He said things about like Latins, Italians, Portuguese, French Canadians. Mm -hmm. It it was not just people of color necessarily yeah. um yeah that catholics he, yeah catholics yeah. he spoke out about i mean pretty much anyone who was different from him yeah anybody who was not the, the classic wasp the white anglo-saxon protestant yeah and and anglican specifically i think um yes you know more so but yeah if if you were not a wasp you were a second class citizen and so mm -hmm. you know um he while i have some english ancestry um people who came over into the new york area there's a lot of irish and hungarian and they um he he would have gotten to know me and considered me a not to be a, a full citizen or a full human being even mm -hmm. so yeah yeah it, it's it's very different now obviously i could pass or whatever and he wouldn't know unless i told him Mm -hmm. um so you know i come from that very very privileged point in in now as well as then mm -hmm. but yeah horrible yeah not not great yeah and but the question the age-old question is do we throw out everything that someone has contributed because they weren't a good person like objectively yeah. not a good person yeah. Or is there a way to separate an author from their work? I struggle with this one. I got to be honest with you. I, I really struggle does. with this one. Um, yeah. I think the people who don't struggle with it at all, uh, either they know themselves very well and they are very strong in their convictions or they haven't thought through it carefully enough. Because I think it's very difficult to to say anything if you're really you know, looking at, at every point of view and every side and every perspective of this issue, because it's not something that you can just use your own world experiences and perspective 
um, especially for us who are, you know, white cis people. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, we can't just base things on our own experiences and our own life perspectives because no. that would bring us to some conclusions that completely ignore entire groups of other people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's easier to separate the more the further back you go. Yes, you know, I agree. Somebody who was alive 400 years ago writing something that today we would look at and say, what the heck? We're, we, I, we just feel like we can, or most of us feel like we can just kind of ignore that easier or just yeah. kind of shake our head at it and move on. Well, and because we're not giving them money directly. Either. Yes, that that is very much a, a something else I was going to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The fact that if I buy a collection of Howard stories or Lovecraft stories or something like that now, they are not, they are not making any money on it. Mm -hmm. That, that helps out quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw some grease into the fire here and, and point out that, you know, Tolkien was also considered is considered to be pretty problematic by certain groups of people. Yeah. Specifically for his, um, for the way the dwarves seem to mirror um, Jewish people. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, th there's some issues there. And I'm, I'm, gosh, I, I just love his work. But, mm -hmm. you know, even some of his work I look at and like, that's, that's a little weird, dude. Like, how can you, how could you mm -hmm. say that? But then again, this is also a guy who got written to by the Nazi party and and basically like shut them down in his response mm -hmm. um so you know you take the good with the bad i guess yeah and it, people are complicated it's so rare yeah. to have a person that you could say no this person is wrong about everything yeah. bad through and through to the core there obviously are people like that who exist yeah. but for the most part we all yeah have some bad like harmful beliefs and some really helpful beliefs yeah. and part of life is figuring out what beliefs are harmful yeah and listening to other people who may be harmed by those beliefs and realizing oh i didn't yeah. realize that that was something that was harming someone else. as as they as they say i believe in avenue q uh, everybody's a little bit racist mm -hmm. well you know Oftentimes there's a knee jerk reaction. You know, I grew up in a, a military town in the South in the eighties. And so, you know, there are, there have been knee jerk reactions and, you know, thank goodness now that I'm in my late, late, <clears throat> um, I've been able to figure out how to change some of that, but yeah, it's, it, it, it's ugly. You get those knee jerk reactions sometimes and, and you can see it in other people. Um, and so sometimes you just have to, like, I have to, Hey, you know, that wasn't okay. Or what's going on here. And then they're like, Oh gosh, you're right. And kind of take mm -hmm. a step back and, and re kind of go for their second reaction. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important to have these conversations. It would be really easy to say, well, we don't have skin in the game because we're not, necessarily in the group that is harmed by this idea yeah. um and so then just say i don't care i'm not going to talk about it i'm going to let them talk and obviously 
we should be prioritizing the voices who are actually affected. Yeah. So, I mean, listeners, please, like, the best thing that you could do is to, you know, after this podcast, go and and look for those minority voices and and prioritize their yeah. voices over ours and their ideas over ours. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't want to shy away from having the conversation because people in privilege need to have these conversations and they need to self introspect and consider, okay, this is where I came from. And this may be clouding my judgment or impacting my core beliefs. And those might not be correct. They might not be accurate views or beliefs about the world. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's tough. You know, I think building empathy is always one of the best things we can do, no matter what Mm -hmm. what the topic is, you know, whether it's, well, whatever, you know, have building some empathy, um, at least for the human being, if not for for their actions. Um, But then again, even saying that, then it's like, well, you know, that's a step that's a half a step away from love the sinner, not the sin. And which dehumanizes mm-hmm. people anyway. So it's it's tough. And in this case, we are fortunate enough to have, what, 90 years almost between us, I think, between between both of them. I mean, if we're going to talk about... Yeah, 1920s and, and 30s. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, 100, 100 yeah. so years, 90 to 100 years. Yeah. Um depending on if you're talking from when they were born or when they were yeah. writing the most, but. And and saying this as a neurodivergent person, somebody who in, you know, many circles you could, you could honestly say has some pretty severe mental health issues. They both had some really severe mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that when you don't try to work with those and you don't try to understand them and you don't try to learn with them and you're not able to get them treated. I mean, let's be honest, pharmacopoeia has changed in the last century so much that we can, you know, things that used to be death sentences are no longer. And Mm -hmm. mental health stuff has come along such a way as well. But yeah, Mm -hmm. they were, I mean, they were mired in their own garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how, how unhealthy do you have to be to shoot yourself after your mom dies? I mean, yeah. You know, that's where Howard was living his life from that point. Mm -hmm. And so we look at a lot of the things that he wrote and it's like, yeah, this guy was, this guy was pretty messed up. Yeah. And Lovecraft was the like quintessential starving artist. His stuff was not accepted at the time. It was pretty severely critiqued as bad art. He was considered a bad writer at the time. He did not really make much money. Um, he ate, you know, I think there's some kind of story about him eating expired canned food or something and living off of that because he was so poor and so destitute. There's, there's an argument to be made that apparently he could have been much more commercially successful than he was. And a lot of it was just the self doubt that we, that we Mm -hmm. as all writers struggle with. Mm -hmm. Um, well, we as all artists, it's not just writers. I mean, Mm -hmm. You know, I know painters and photographers who fight it just as much as anybody I've, yeah. I've ever met in the writing world. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you know, there were a couple of those magazines who 
still would have loved to have been able to publish more of his work, but he just wasn't writing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely, rightfully, I think, gets gets a, a a load of garbage for how bad his writing was. Um, but he he was overly critical uh, of himself, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, at least for me, it's hard to imagine a person with that much hate for other people not also having an element of self-loathing as well. I think it's hard to hate other people that much if you truly love and accept yourself and your own flaws. Yeah, I I think I'm kind of an odd duck to talk with some of this about because I don't find any of his work to be scary whatsoever. I don't find any of... A lot of people don't. And a lot of people contemporary to him didn't. They were like, "This this isn't scary. You know, as a mental exercise, it's fascinating. I mean, it's fantastic. And it, it's led into role-playing games and board games and all this other stuff. And and so is Howard. And Howard's writing, I didn't really think was scary or all that impressive either. You know, um, Howard's thing, though, was mm-hmm. he was talking about weapons, armor, and women. And it was pretty obvious he knew nothing about weapons, armor, or women. <laughs> and, you know, he would use the same the same language over and over and over and over again. And that's, you know, authors who do that now get a ton of garbage from their, uh, their contemporaries. Like Mm -hmm. how can you literally use this same exact description in every single book Mm -hmm. or every single story? And yeah, that's what he did. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I think the reason that these two are considered to be so important is that they helped popularize um, even more so in their day, um, specific genres, you know, mm-hmm. cosmic horror and sword and sorcery, yeah. um, the sword and sorcery side of fantasy. And mm-hmm. they also encouraged other people to write in their worlds. Um, you know, Robert E. Howard kind of jokingly put the age of Conan and the world of Conan into the um into the cosmic horror timeline that that lovecraft and and other contemporaries were building so he Mm -hmm. was like yeah we're just gonna say it's this Mm -hmm. so yeah i don't know uh so i have a couple quotes from other people who've stated their opinions about things um that i think are an interesting um perspective so uh, one thing i think we have to address in this uh conversation is the defense that people give that it was a product of time and place Mm. and we've already mentioned that um that particularly for howard and lovecraft they were severe for their time as well like in their correspondences with with friends and other people they were questioned by those other people and called out and there wasn't always a positive reaction to the things that they said. Um, And they were considered severe and extreme for their time as well. Um, But even for an author who like you could say that was a generally accepted belief of the time period. Um, This author, contemporary author, Jason Sanford um, spoke about a conversation that he had at a, convention about Howard. And he said in this blog post that he wrote, 
this product of his time and place statement dances around the more important issue, excusing a writer's racism because it was once commonplace, doesn't work with literature. And here's why. Literature is a cultural artifact. And culture is a dynamic process involving continual evolution and change. Culture exists at the individual level and in each and every one of us, even as it is also expressed at the group level. As people change at the individual level, the group level culture also changes. So what he's saying is we can you know, take this, this art, this cultural artifact, and as a group and as individuals, we can be critical of, of the things that we know better now. Right. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that we are, you know, throwing out everything, all the cultural artifacts, all of the things from our history, but it does mean that there's continual evolution and change that happens. And in order to have that continual change, in order to progress, in order to become better, we have to be critical of the things that mm -hmm. were wrong. Yeah. And we have to address that they were wrong. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting perspective. That yeah. I think he's right. Yeah. He's absolutely yeah, right. It may be true that that was a product of time and place, but that that doesn't work that yeah. doesn't work as an excuse it doesn't change anything about the criticism that we need to bring to those ideas now yeah um one of the things i've really enjoyed about this kind of a non-tangential i guess um it was uh looney tunes and how at the beginning of their when they show their older stuff they're like hey you know these depicted some racial stereotypes that were wrong then they're wrong now we're going to leave them as part of the um we're going to leave them intact as part of our history like we understand this mm -hmm. however exactly they said it their words were much much nicer than mine in this case because i'm shooting from the hip uh, my memory of it mm -hmm. i you know they're right yeah it was it's wrong now it was wrong then it shouldn't have ever happened it did um, and we need to be able to look at that constantly and say, yeah, yeah, this was wrong. Mm -hmm. We need to reinforce that, I think, constantly and, and say, yeah, this was wrong. Lovecraft was wrong. Howard was wrong. Um, some of their contemporaries or a lot of their contemporaries were also wrong, maybe not to the same extent. Mm -hmm. um, I think the only reason we talk about Howard and, and, and Lovecraft now, though, is because of that popularization I mentioned earlier. Yeah. You know, yeah. People found them again in the in the fifties, sixties, and seventies, and yeah, you know, especially I think the the sixties and seventies, and um, yes, you know, they've exploded in popularity as much as anything else with Lovecraft because nobody knew who had the rights, like there wasn't anybody mm -hmm. with the rights, mm -hmm. and <laughs> I'm I'm we we need to make a Brandon rule in this uh in our podcast but you know one of the <laughs> longest conversations i've ever had with Brandon Sanderson was him talking about how you know like two different groups um had like one group had um the license that was written out on the back of a napkin and the other one was every bit as tenuous and neither ever wanted to take the other group to court because they were both mm -hmm. worried that the judge would throw out all of their quote unquote rights Mm. And so 
you know, when it came to publishing and things like that, there were these two different groups that were doing it. And then um, Chaosium, who's a role-playing company, came along and they had done a few things and they did the Call of Cthulhu game mm-hmm. specifically by Sandy, written largely by Sandy Peterson. Um, and I think it's those things that have made him such a cultural icon yeah. over, the last, over the last 40 years, 50 years. Yeah, and his... It's that kind of a similar story as Shakespeare in the mm-hmm. sense that after these artists passed, their friends were the ones who said, this is important and this is worth something. And they they took the artist's work and and published it and, and preserved it and put it out into the world and got that ball rolling for people to not just completely forget that it ever existed. Yeah. So there's yeah. probably a lot of contemporaries um, that did similar things that Lovecraft and Howard were doing. And there definitely were. And and we don't know them in yeah. the same way because yeah. they didn't necessarily have those friends yeah. who, who made They're, those efforts. Yeah, they each had somebody, at least one person, who continued to publish in their yeah. name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or said, you know, Howard and what it was else Prague to camp or whatever, you know, and, and like byline their stories that way and continue mm-hmm. to publish Conan stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was a little different. So there was kind of a shared universe created there. What was a little different with Lovecraft is he encouraged other people to use the Necronomicon and Cthulhu and some of these things that are very specifically Lovecraft created. Whereas, um, you know, there was already a body of work in in the cosmic horror scene and this was just another kind of link in the chain i think mm-hmm. from the late 1800s to now yeah yeah and that they're you know uh given credit for for starting these things because you know in the 60s and 70s when this popularity arose and and these things they created really became more mainstream and more pop culture yeah their work was the work that yeah that survived long enough to become the inspiration for those things yeah um and that inspiration yeah. is of uh, the inspiration for new creation is a really key point in this conversation about separating the beliefs of an author from their contributions and their work because yeah. we have so many more iterations of Conan the Barbarian. Uh, we have com- there's comics, movies, all these these new works of art that completely set aside the racist and bigoted beliefs, yeah, and and ignore them completely, and yeah. just take this one idea and turn it into new art yeah. that has become really prolific. Yeah. And a common, you know, you say Conan the Barbarian, and most people have heard that before, even if they've never read a comic or read anything by by Howard specifically. Um, and that's one way. It's a lot easier to do nowadays yeah. uh, for someone that lived 100 years ago, because the new creators are the ones who are profiting. The yeah. new creators who maybe have beliefs that... Uh, are a little less harmful. Than... Well, in, in the late 
I, I believe in the late seventies, um, there was a gentleman by the name of Charles Saunders, um, who was from Newfoundland, I think, or something. And, uh, he's a man of color. Uh, actually what was he passed, um, a while back, but he took sword and sorcery or also known as like sword and sandal in some cases, if it's got less sorcery kind of thing, he took that and turned it into sword and soul. And the idea was these were African and African diaspora based characters. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of my publishing friends got their, their start, um, in writing things for that same audience, um, because of Mr. Saunders. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and he looked at, I think he looked at Howard's work and was like, you know, this is compelling. Man, there are some issues here. And it would be really nice to see somebody who looks like me as one of the heroes. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, Howard did have a character. Well, he had characters throughout Conan who were who were not Caucasian. Um, But he had one more so in Solomon Kane. But he was the 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 magic Negro um, Mm -hmm. archetype. Yeah. Um, And. Yeah, so it was still, you know, Howard was a little bit more, I think, of the, the like the casual racist. Well, of course, you know, white people are better, but whatever. We don't have to talk about it nearly as much, except for every white savior trope that he ever threw together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that they these two have have inspired so many new people to continue to write. There are still people writing in cosmic horror who use the Necronomicon and Cthulhu and, and things like that now who are of color. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. And either the two of them went to heaven and figured, you know, pulled their head out of their asses and said, you know what, we were wrong or they're burning in hell. And either way, I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, or they're in, in some sort of, uh, energy in the universe kind of thing. Like, I don't know if you ever saw that, um, show. Oh my gosh. It's totally escaping me right now. Um, about the, the afterlife, the good place. Um, they have this, the end of the show where everyone just becomes like energy in the universe and whatever goodness that they had in them goes back out into the universe kind of thing. Um, but I feel like this, you know, this, even if they weren't great people, right. But they contributed something that has become extremely valuable. And then other people, as you're saying, people of color, some of these minorities who were targeted by these artists are turning something really beautiful um, out of out of these ideas that they had. Yeah. And I think that's just one of the most beautiful things about, about the human race and human beings is the way that we can reclaim these things and turn them into something truly, truly beautiful. And beautiful not just in, in the art and in the ideas but in the fact that we took something that maybe didn't come out of the best of intentions and made it more inclusive and made it more um just compassionate towards human beings 
Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's pretty cool. And that's, it's a cool thing about art. Um, it's again, we'll talk about this more in part two, but it's a lot harder to do that when the artist, original artist is still alive. But yeah. I think it's a, it's a really beautiful part of that evolution and change of culture. Um, you know, humans are just really good at doing it. And yeah, like let's support those, those artists that are making yeah. something really good out yeah. of, out of these ideas. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just have to co-opt these awful ideas, the way language often gets co-opted by marginalized peoples. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, I think it's an incredible thing. So yep. um, I wish it weren't necessary. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. we we live in a fallen world and everybody's doing the best they can. Yeah. Okay, so another topic or subtopic I want to hit on is the idea of uplifting and um, giving voice to the idea versus um, honoring the, the person. Mm. And Lovecraft particularly is his face and his name and the names of characters are really prolific throughout pop culture and they appear everywhere. Yeah. Um, and one example was the World Fantasy Award, which used to be in Lovecraft's image. Yep. And in 2015, they took that away. They removed that because of those issues with what he believed in and represented. And a lot of times I think there's, you know, there's people on two different sides of this and there's sort of a mid ground, right? So there's the people who believe, no, you take all or nothing, right? So you have to, you know, we can't take away Lovecraft's image. We can't stop honoring him as a person. We have to take him with his art. And then the people who say um, the ideas are inherently tainted because of, of Lovecraft. And so we have to leave all of it. And then people in the middle, which is kind of where the World Fantasy Award landed, is this idea of take the ideas and, and remove the author from them and not honor them by using their image and their name and, and all of those things. Um, but that becomes complicated too, yeah. because they also did create these ideas. And if you're just looking at things from like a strict, like legal standpoint, um, they, you know, they created those ideas. And so they should be, those ideas should be attributed to them. But I think, I think that there is and I think it might be look different for every person, but I think there is a mid ground you can walk where you are attributing someone's work to them without honoring the person they were and the beliefs that they held. I think it's really hard to do, but I think it is possible to do. Yeah, I think so too. And again, you know, this could be me speaking from a place of privilege because it, you know, the, the some of these movements haven't hurt me in in the way right. they've hurt my friends, and so I I hurt for them. Mm -hmm. Secondary at that point, still. Right. 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's really easy to admire somebody who takes the, the all or nothing stand, you know, cause, mm-hmm. but at the same time, that's, I don't know that that's particularly realistic. I don't know that mm-hmm. we can really live in a world where everything has to be one or the other, you yeah. know, everything's a sum zero event that, that always kind of scares me. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, that could be me, um, me being fairly privileged as yeah. a middle-aged white guy. Yeah. I mean, everything we say in this topic needs to be taken with a grain of salt because we are in today's standards, you know, in places of privilege, at least as far as um, gender and race go, yeah. um, gender being cis. Uh, as far as those things are concerned, we are in a place of privilege and and our opinions and ideas mean very little <laughs> in that sense. Um, but it, as I said earlier, I think the important thing is is having the conversation and being willing to to look at other perspectives and to broaden our minds about what's going on. And again, like, please go look into what minorities and people of color have to say about Howard and Lovecraft, particularly other authors who understand the influence over yeah. the craft that they have had. Um, because those are those are the voices that I think can really guide us in this yeah. sort of you know uncomfortable and confusing yeah. issue. Yeah, I've I've a friend who actually works at a publishing house where they deal with cosmic horror, um, and they uh, they're pretty non tolerant of of a lot of things um, from mm-hmm. Lovecraft, and you know, it's pointed out that one of the reasons that this stuff is so common now is because Lovecraft was such a terrible business person or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. I get it, you know, I, I see what we're saying, but you know, I just. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to parade around the fact that I, I love Lovecraft or anything because I don't. I mm-hmm. just, I like a lot of his work and I like what his work has morphed into now. Um, yeah. Particularly, you know, Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, Trail of Cthulhu role-playing game, uh, the tabletop mm-hmm. stuff, the, um, you know, the board games that I play. A lot of my favorite board games are, are based on, on his, um, on his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Yes. There's still that part of me. That's like, am I, am I, am I hurting this? You know, what's going on? Right. Um, I read a, an article slash kind of letter thing that a man, Lehman Kessler wrote, and he was famous for a while as this, um, this man who portrayed Lovecraft and, uh, he would do it for festivals and, and, conventions but he also had a youtube channel um and he you know played the role of lovecraft and he would get asked all the time about portraying someone with such extreme really harmful views and Mm -hmm. portraying a white supremacist and he wrote this article as sort of this response and I, i pulled one line from it i i'll probably link the whole thing in the um show notes because I think it's worth reading his words about it. Um, 
again, grain of salt because he he is a white guy. <laughs> um, but he said, I can only portray Lovecraft, warts and all, by being brutally honest about his problems and being willing to engage with it without throwing up defensive walls or complaining that the evergreen topic needs to die already. And I, I thought that was a really good point that, yeah, it's there's this dissonance, right? There's this dissonance of discomfort and and yeah, we're like celebrating this guy's work, but oh, he was such a bad dude. And and I don't know if I could ever personally do what this man did and, and portray someone. I think that would just wear on my mental health in general. And I, I feel pretty crappy about it all the time. But the way that he dealt with this was by personally never allowing himself to to be defensive about about it and to um say okay this is like you're beating a dead horse here in the article he's like i need to continue answering this question every time and i hope i never stop getting asked this question because it's something that we need to be willing to talk about and willing to be honest about and yeah. it's gonna be brutal it's gonna be uncomfortable but it has to happen and i think no matter where you are on that spectrum of you know all or nothing or middle ground the thing that i feel is definitely true is that we can never stop addressing those problems and being brutally honest about yeah. our history in yeah. whatever form that is yeah the other thing i would say is the stage of capitalism that we're in we are willing to commercialize or monetize anything mm -hmm. there's somebody out there who's going to make some money there are gosh lovecraft festivals and stuff and yep necronomicon i think specifically but i think that's mm -hmm. become more of a cosmic horror one as well um yeah yeah but um you know so sometimes i wonder if that's one of the reasons we have these things in our face so much is because we have these um you know these companies who are who are making money from this kind of stuff um mm -hmm. you know robert e howard with conan i have a stack of conan board game stuff right there mm -hmm. and it's one of the most fun board games my friends and i have ever played and you know at the same time it's like gosh i don't know you just so. really wish that a better human being came up with it or that yeah a better human being was the one whose whose work survived or, or yeah. you know made it yeah um, when we have i mean we have those people now you know although let's be honest um you know depending on depending on who perspective whose perspective we're looking from a lot of a lot of people now have their issues but you know there are a lot of there are a lot of people out there who are good people who are who are doing these writing um, who are continuing these yeah. uh, these in these genres and have been for the last mm -hmm. you know seventy eighty years? Um, somebody had pointed out that quite a few of the the writers for cosmic horror are actually women um, now, and I think that's that's pretty awesome too. Yeah, yeah. I think as a takeaway, <laughs> you know, listen to the voices who are impacted. And be willing to be open-minded 
and, yeah. and change your perspective on things, to self-introspect, to figure out what beliefs and core values you hold that maybe could be re-examined and reassessed. I recently went through a pretty significant life change where I did a lot of that. And it was very uncomfortable and very painful to do. Yeah. But on the other side of it, of making some of those tough decisions, I am in a much better place emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Yeah. Just in a way better place. And I feel so much better about my own personal moral compass and where I stand on on things and where yeah. I stand with with minorities. Um it's it's a good thing to do and it's a good thing to continuously do and to keep having the uncomfortable conversations yeah about our history yeah i think it's good for any of us to like pull something out and look at it every once in a while even if it's just personal stuff mm -hmm. you know it's important to do that and like you said i think it's really important to do that from a social perspective yeah so yeah and i, I think we as writers really need to look at that absolutely because we are contributing to that yeah that um those cultural artifacts yeah we're contributing to them yeah well that's our time for today uh we've been your hosts ludlow adams and j.s garrity thanks for tuning in join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction this has been we're lying but that's okay big thanks to our listeners for your support if you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible. <laughs>